So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, soldier, and peace be with you. My name is Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, this morning, the task that has uh, been handed to us um, is not exactly what we planned. Um, it says in the scriptures that many are the plans in the heart of a man, but it is the Lord who will establish his steps. And so our plans were to continue our sermon series through Matthew um, and to look, uh, continue to look into Matthew chapter 7. Um, and we would have been building upon what took place last week. However, um, the Lord has sought fit to change the direction of our course. And for the most part, um, we can say with complete faith and confidence that we do not know why, but it would be necessary for us to embrace um, the Lord's plans. Last week, Pastor Kevin Galloway, um, the pastor of Christ Church, a multi-site congregation with a congregation in Michigan City, Indiana, LaPorte, Indiana, and Chicago, Illinois, um, spoke at this very desk in this very hour, and he told us about a God who loves us and about a God who, if we knock, we can find him. If we seek, he will be there and he will embrace us um, as a God who loves us dearly. And that was on Sunday. Unfortunately, um, Kevin, on Friday morning, passed away on his way home to LaPorte, Indiana. Kevin was and is um, a friend of our church. He's a pastor in the Sojourn Network. He served the Lord faithfully for many years. He's a dear friend of Pastor Jonah Sage, husband, father, pastor, and mentor to many pastors. And this morning, Pastor Jonah is in Michigan City to be present with his 
congregation and with his family there. And so it is the obvious statement, and it goes without saying, but please pray for the Galloway family. Please pray for Christ's church. Uh, and please pray for Pastor Jonah, as this is um, a dear friend to him personally. And pray for ourselves. The Lord says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children, that we might do all the words of this law. And so there will be many times and places and events that we don't really get to know much about. Those are secret things, and they're in the hands, the counsel, and the wisdom of God. But the things that are revealed, what it is that God has said, is for us. And it's for us to hear it, and for us to obey it, and for us to pass it on to our children. And so, we interrupted our series in Matthew, and we will consider today something that is revealed by God in 2 Peter chapter 1. The Apostle Peter Shortly before he passed away and he moved out of this life into the next life, wrote these words to a congregation, to a group of Christians, reminding them of the truths of the gospel and their own mortality. And so this morning, my prayer is that you will hear God saying to you, get ready for your coming departure because you will go home to a resurrected Savior. Let us get ready for our coming departure for we will go home to a resurrected Savior. There are three ways that we get ready. First, we embrace our certain departure. First, we embrace our certain departure. Second, we serve other people and then third, we hear what God says. First, we embrace our certain departure. Peter is one of the closest friends of Jesus. Peter and Matthew would have spent time together. They were fellow disciples. They would have shared meals together. They would have shared experiences together. They would have shared time together. And that time together would have been centered around their time with our Lord Jesus Christ. But Peter, unlike Matthew, is unique in that he spends more time with Jesus one-on-one -on -one than anybody in the Bible. Jesus invests in him more so than anybody else in the Bible. And on multiple occasions, Jesus pulls him to the side to have a conversation with him, to show him something, to invest in him. And consistently, nearly every single time when Jesus pulls Peter to the side, he wants to speak to them. He wants to show him something about death itself. And you can read about one of these conversations in John chapter 21, where Jesus speaks to Peter after his resurrection, and he says, Peter, we're going to speak about how you are going to die. And Peter elaborates on this conversation in 2 Peter 1, verses 13 through 15. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, 
because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. And so Peter, he initially denies the reality of what was going to happen to him whenever he converses with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to tell you, you're going to, you're going to die in a way you don't want to die, and you're going to go where you don't want to go. And Peter tries to change the subject in the conversation, but Jesus won't let him, and he, and he moves them back to, to talk about this. And there was a period, and there was a time of a denial out of Peter to where he didn't want to hear what he, Jesus had to say, and he didn't want to deal with the reality of, his, of, of the brevity of his own life, of the shortness of his own life, of his own mortality, of his own limitations. And then time goes on, and then years go by. Peter is the most influential Christian up to that point in time. And here he sees and he embraces the reality that he's, he's going to be passing soon. Did you hear the images in the language that he uses? He says, very soon I will be, I will be shedding off. I will be undoing the tent of, of this body. There he's giving us an image that, that this life, the life that you and I have right now, in this very moment, the hour that we have, it's, it's like a trip. It's like a camping trip to where you pinch your, you, you throw up your tent. You're here for a moment, but a tent is a temporary dwelling. It's, it's something that you do for a period of time. You have a tent and you stay there for a period of time and you experience the things that you're going to experience. But it's, it's a temporary dwelling place. And Peter says, I know that very soon I'm going to be taking the tent down. And I'm going to be moving on. But he had to come to terms with that. It wasn't something that when Jesus spoke to him about it in John 21, it wasn't something that he wanted to speak about in that moment. He tried to change the conversation and the topic. And so look at the pattern. There is initial denial. There's initial refusal. There's a desire to delay. There's a desire to avoid. And then there's an embracing. And then he speaks. A number of years ago, a friend of mine taking care of his wife and she was sick for a long time. And he began developing a sickness himself, but he didn't tend to it because he had to tend to the needs of his wife. And he denied that there was anything wrong with him and then eventually he couldn't. And then he was diagnosed with stage four cancer and then he passed away shortly after that. I spent some of the last moments of his life with him, and he spoke into my life. He told me about the Lord, and he told me about his love of the Lord, and he told me about how he would experience the Lord whenever he was doing work for his church, and he told me about how much he loved his people in his church, and he told me about how thankful he was that God was so good to him. 
And it seemed like the same pattern to me as what was going on here with Peter. It was a denial, not wanting to go there, not wanting to have that conversation. And then there's an embracing of it. And then there's truth that comes afterwards. And the reality is, is you may be experiencing that even right now. But the conversation isn't going to be changed. The reality is what it is. You and I are in a temporary stay. We're doing this thing for the moment. To say that you're not guaranteed tomorrow, a cliche of sorts, is stretching it. You're not guaranteed this evening. You're not guaranteed this afternoon. And will you embrace that reality? Or will you give in to the temptation? You can distract yourself with video games. You can pull out your phone. You can start texting. You can figure out how it is that you will avoid the conversation or the topic. You, will, you can go ahead and plan out how you will not address this conversation in community group or when you drive home or whatever it is. Go, it, there's the, that temptation is going to be real. You're not going to be the only one who's going to go through that, and you're not the only one who's ever gone through that because even a man who wrote the Bible himself had to deal with that. How much time do you have left? One of the most important questions you can ask. If you're not a Christian, how much time do you have left? How do you answer that question? What will happen to you at the end of all things? What happens to you at the end of your life? Do you know how to answer that question? Christian, will you sit with that question? How much, how much longer do I have left? Will you sit with that question? Will you embrace every, all the implications that that question brings with it? Will you avoid it? This man spoke words that will never go away after he embraces the reality that he only had a little bit of time left. That he was living life, but that was like a camping trip to where he had a tent and he was staying in that tent for a little while and then he was going to take it down and then he was going to go home to live in glory forever. How much longer do you have left? Will you embrace that question? Second, let us serve someone else. So after Peter embraces this question, after he embraces the reality of it, he speaks. And look here at how he describes things in verses 13 and 15. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of this body. I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. You see here that he says, I think it's right to refresh your memory. I'm going to make every effort. You, <clears throat> what is he doing? He embraces the reality. He embraces the reality that he's only got a little bit of time. But notice what it causes him to do. It doesn't cause him. It doesn't cause him to, <clears throat> to think to himself, okay, how am I going to get as much pleasure as I possibly can? How is it possible for me to just be as, as, 
as high and as drunk as I possibly can for the next little bit of time because I'm out of here. Notice that's not what takes place. Now, how come? Well, that way of dealing with your death, which is to avoid it, to, to, um, to be so intoxicated that you never have to address it, that way assumes there's only one life to live. But that's not what Peter believes. That's not what a Christian believes. A Christian believes that this is, this is a land that we're passing through, but it's preparing us for, for the next place. It's preparing us and it's enabling us to live and to learn what it's like to serve God and what it's like to serve God. So we're getting practice, so to speak. We're, we're, we're testing out our gear, so to speak. So that what? So that whenever the camping trip is over and we're finally home, we know what to do when we get there. And what do we do? Well, Peter knows that one of the things we'll do is we'll serve one another. We'll be there for each other. Why? Well, because we're family. And as Christians, we're part of a family that never ends. We belong to the same Father, and his name is God, the Lord. And we'll have a big brother, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we're all in this thing together. And so he looks to serve them, and he says, I'm going to make every effort that while I got time, that I give myself away to somebody else, specifically you, these Christian brothers and sisters, and I want to make every effort. He's going to work at it to remind you of something, to share with you truths that will shape and form your life and make your life marked by faith and by love. But notice there that the work that he has, he says, I will make every effort, but there's an openness to it. There's an openness to it because the reality is, is you can only do so much. You've only got so much time, that's true, but, but guess what else is you and I can't control the memories of other people. So if, have you ever heard the question that says, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? What do you want to be remembered for? It's a good question. It's helpful at one level. So what does is, what is Citizens Church want to be remembered for? That's a good question. It will provide aim. It will provide direction. And so if you want to be remembered as a generous person, you'll give your time and your resources to those who are in need, right? And so that will provide some sort of direction in the course of your life. If we want to be remembered as a church that is fill in the blank, loving, that is truthful, that is gracious, it will cause us to say and do in a certain way. It will provide some order to our lives. It's helpful at one level. But it's limited. Because it assumes that you can control the memories of other people. I could want to be known as a generous man, and so I give myself to orphan care for the rest of my life. And the reality is, is what could happen is I would be known as disciplined or undisciplined or absent to my children. Because... The, I can't control their memories. I can't control how they receive anything. You could want to be known as a courageous man or a courageous woman. 
And so you give yourself to dangerous things, but the reality is, is you could be remembered as unwise. You could be remembered as foolish. Why? Because you and I have no ability whatsoever to control the memories of other people. We don't know how other people will receive us. Does that mean that you don't serve? No, you make every effort, but what do you do? You serve with prayerful mouths, and you, you serve with open hands, and you say to God, whatever it is that you seek to do by faith, say it like Paul, let's this, make this our prayer. God, whatever it is that we seek to do by faith, bless our works. May it prosper and may it bear fruit. Let us, let us say to God whenever we look to serve. Like dads, when you look to take your daughters on a date, say to God, God, establish the work in my hands. Like, make every effort to be a good dad and say to God, God bless my efforts. Like, make every, every effort to be a good employee, to show up to work, to clock in on time, to do work well and say to God, God bless my efforts. Make every effort, but know that all of your efforts are ultimately in the hands of God. And embrace that reality and say to God, God, here is my service. This is all I can do. Please bless my efforts. Make every effort. Serve people. You've got this life, but this life is practice. This is a trial run. This is what we're doing to, to figure out how to do it for the next life. We don't have much time left. We're on our way out. So let's serve one another with, with an open heart and with open hands. And then third, let's hear what God says. So after he embraces the reality, after he seeks to serve these people, he shares with them about a personal experience that he has. And this is what he does in verse 19, excuse me, verse 16. For we do not follow cleverly devised stories when we were told about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So here Peter talks about an experience that he had. It's in Matthew chapter 17. And it's one of those that I mentioned earlier where I said Jesus would take Peter to the side and he would teach him a special lesson. And it's another one of those lessons that's about death. And it's there that Peter and two of his friends, James and John, witness Jesus. They witness Jesus transfigure. They witness him transform. And they, they see the bright glory and beauty of Jesus Christ shine on a mountain. And Jesus' lesson for them was that death was going to be a doorway. Death for him was going to be a hallway. It was going to be a tunnel. It was going to be a path that he was going to walk down for a period of time. And on the other side of it would be the bright, glowing beauty of God Almighty. And Peter got that experience. And he said, I was an eyewitness of this. Like, I... I saw this with my eyes. Like if there was heat raining off his body, he felt it. It was something that took place. And he's passing it on. The reality is, is well, that was, that was Peter. I mean, that was James. That was John. Like 
There were so few people who were involved in that experience. So what about, what about these Christians? What about us? Are we supposed to wait on some sort of magnificent experience before we know that God is with us? Are we supposed to wait on some, some moment where, where there's brightness, where there's speech from heaven and all that? Are we supposed to wait on that before we know? Peter says that's not the case. Look here at what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He said, you know what? You don't have those experiences, but here's what you have. You have a reliable word. You have the prophetic message. You have the scriptures. And the scriptures indicate something. The scriptures are written by men. Yes, they are. They are the words of men. They're not just the words of men. They didn't come up with this stuff on their own, but no, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's like a man riding a horse. It's the horse that is, that is doing the movement, but it's the man who di directs the horse. It, it's, like, it's like a sailboat in the wind. It's the sailboat that's moving through the water. So the men are writing down the words, but it is the wind that is moving along the boat. And he says, you have that. And that's reliable. So regardless if you are in Michigan City and weeping, or you're in Birmingham preparing and proclaiming, or you're in Sellersburg, getting up in the morning. Or you're in Dubai, or wherever you are. It's reliable to give you a message. And why do we need a reliable message? Well, he says. He says it's, it'll bring clarity. It's like light in a dark place. And it's a light that is so bright and so consistent that it will continue to shine until our Lord Jesus comes, until the morning star rises. And there's going to be times where there's going to be darkness. There's going to be times where life is cloudy and it's foggy and it's hazy. So, why would we be introduced to a brother to stand in this very moment, to stand at this place, and to share with us, and then for him to be taken? Well, I don't know. Why would we hear about the man's life and his plans, about his family? about his children, about what God was doing in their lives. 
and then that be disrupted? I can't say. What is the point in all of it? What is it that God is doing? And I can say this as I don't know. So what do I know? Well, it would be incumbent upon you to remind. It would be incumbent upon me to remind you what it is that Pastor Kevin Galloway taught us last week. That there's a God. And he's good. And if you knock, he'll open. If you seek him, you'll find him. And then when you find him, he's a generous and gracious God. And he won't throw your sins back in your face. And he won't bring up to you all the wrong things that you have done. But he will embrace you as a willing and a loving father. And he'll say, let the party begin. Because my child was once lost, but now he's found. Oh, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It extends beyond the highest star and touches to the lowest hell. We will depart soon, but when we go home, we're going to be embraced by a resurrected Savior. That's what the Word teaches us. That's what Pastor Kevin Galloway passed on to us. And that's what's evident in the Lord's Supper. You see, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat it, eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup of wine, and after giving thanks, he says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Take, drink of it. Do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat from this bread... And you drink from this cup, you announce the Lord's death until he returns. Until he returns. If you're a Christian, come forward. Tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in juice or wine, whatever your conscience permits. The wine will be marked by a piece of twine. There will be gluten-free elements to my left and to your right, if that serves you well. If you're not a Christian, please take Jesus. You don't know how much time you have left. And he's a good God who will embrace you where you are. And he won't, he won't throw up your sins and the wrong things that you have done up in your face. But he will embrace you as a God who loves you. Please take Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are confronted that there is a time to weep and a time to rejoice. We're confronted by that in that our brothers and sisters will be traveling south to start a church. And we're grateful for Citizens Church. And we're grateful for the work that you're doing in the hearts of those people. And we pray that you'll bless them and keep them and make your face shine upon them, Lord. And may your word prove to be a reliable guide as they seek to serve Birmingham, Alabama. Lord, may your word be a reliable guide to our brothers and sisters in northern Indiana and in Chicago as they grieve the loss of their loved one, Pastor Kevin Galloway. 
And may your word bring clarity to our situation as we seek to be faithful in between those two points of reference. Give us grace. Enable us to serve you and follow you. And above all, communicate to us in a very clear and tangible way of the great love that Jesus has for us. For we pray these things in his good name. Amen.